Fatherless Australia with Robert Falzon. Robert Falzon is a husband, father, businessman, co-founder of Men Alive and author. Men Alive is a national Catholic ministry to bring men together, renew their faith in God and encourage them to become an active force for renewal in the church. Let's do a quick survey. You ready? How many fathers do we have here? Put your hand up. About ten. All right. Why didn't the priest put the hand up? Yeah, your fathers as well. Okay, how many sons do we have here? So if you guys are not sure, son. Um, and obviously the girls know what's next. How many daughters are there here? Yeah, that's great. We've got some, we've got some great people to work with. Um, I'd like you to take one minute and, and just do a quick revision in your brain and your heart. Let's do the revision in the brain first. Go quickly through and say, what was my dad like? What was my experience of him? What did I like? What didn't I like? Just do that quickly in your head right now. What was my dad like? What was my experience of him? What did I like and what didn't I like? Go. Boom. Just very quickly. Think about it. If people are distracting you, close your eyes. If your boyfriend's annoying you, push him away. Try not to be distracted by the beer and the swilling and the partying going on downstairs. Okay, that's enough for this moment. One more quick survey, um, one more quick uh, job for you right now. This is more a heart job, okay? This is not so much like let's try and remember, let's try and think, but this is sort of like let's, let's experience something. I want you to think of the very, the very best moment, the very best moment you had with your dad and, try and, and then try and bring that emotion and feeling up in your heart. Very best moment. The best thing that happened. If there was no best moments, it's okay. You don't have to invent one. But very best moment. Let's think about that. This might need you to close your eyes. Very best moment you had with your dad. Okay, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and share that moment. Take a minute and say, hey, my dad's name is, and this is the best moment I had with him in my life. My dad's name is, and this is the best moment that I've had. Okay, you need to swap over if you haven't already. Everybody needs a chance to share. Right, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, another survey now. You're ready to do a few things. I've got to try and keep you moving or else the beers and the, and the big burgers and steaks will make you go to sleep. Um, you ready for the next little survey here? How many of you have had a father... Um, in your home, whilst you're at home, all of your life. Put your hand up. Okay, good. How many of you only had a father for the first couple of years of your life and then he wasn't there anymore? Put your hand up. Thank you for being brave and honest. Anybody here not have a father or know him at all? Thank you, darling. Yeah. Uh, that's tough yards. All right, so um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a little while. <clears throat> One, one harder piece of work to do right now. Harder piece of work, all right? You've had such an easy day. 
easy day, except for the first session today, you had a, you had a dream cake day, you've had to do nothing at all, you've been food-fed, and now, food-fed, and now it's time to work, right? Here's the, here's the hard piece of work now. And most of us don't want to do this, alright? So as soon as I say it, you're going to go, no, I don't want to do that. That's called rebellion, alright? Get over it. So, here we go. Here we go. I want you to think for a moment the most unpleasant, difficult or painful moment with your dad. Most unpleasant, difficult or painful moment with your dad. Some of you don't want to go there. That's natural and normal. It's okay. But try. Just think about that now. Dive deep into your soul. Some of you may have to go down quite deep and far. You need to know that I normally don't do this question until the end of a weekend, so you're getting the hard yards right now. Hardest, most difficult or painful moment with your dad. Think about it. It's okay if feelings are attached to that thinking. That's being human. I'm sorry if I'm creating some emotional pain for you. But at some point in time, we have to go, hit, go there. This may not be the right point in time for you. It's okay. If you can, turn to the person next to you and say, Hey, my dad. This is not about bringing dads down. That's about bringing what's down up. All right? So think about it and then go there. Most painful, difficult moment with your dad. Turn to the person next to you if you can and share that moment, please. Go. Righto, thank you. Thank you. How many of you know that um, without diminishing or reducing the value of mothers, nothing that I want to say tonight has any negative statement about mothers, okay? In fact, in my opinion, in the last 40 to 50 years, mothers, mothers have carried this country and at the parish level, mothers have carried the church. So, what I want to say tonight has got nothing to do with being negative about mothers. I'm particularly focusing on fatherhood. How many of you now feel confident? There's some seats up here, guys, right in front here, where I'm standing. <laughs> so, anybody feel, um, anybody would now agree with me? Fatherhood is critical. If you agree with me, put your hand up. Yes, thank you. Fatherhood is critical. Father, having a father in the home is critical, Yes. Having a father in the home is critical, yes? Yes, yes thank you. So let me tell you something, that, um, something about what God thinks about fatherhood. All right? Anybody not from the scene conference here is going to get a shock from now on for a little while. But anyway, God bless you. We're going to look after you. So let me tell you a few things about what God thinks about fatherhood. The scriptures tell us a lot about fatherhood. But one interesting thing about the way the scriptures are structured uh, in relation to fatherhood is this. And this is, you'll get a prize for this. Who knows what the last book of the Old Testament is? Put your hand up before you call it out. I'll take, I'll take the lady there. You, that's you. What did you say? Old Testament. Somebody shout it out. Malachi. Yes. I've got to be careful. I can't say anything I want now because there's some scripture scholars here. So Malachi. How many of you know what the last chapter of Malachi is? Chapter 3. How many of you know what the last verse of the last chapter, the, the last book, the last chapter, the last verse in the Old Testament is? Cha- Malachi, chapter 3, verse, what's the last verse of Malachi? Don't look it up. 
He's got the iPad whizzing around here. Chapter 20, verse 24. How many know what verse 24 in Malachi says? Last words of the Old Testament. Let me tell you, because some of you are guessing rubbish. All right. The last verse of the Old Testament is this. And I will return the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Last verse of the Old Testament. If you were God and you wanted to say one last thing in the Hebrew language, that's what was said. Okay, then we have the break and then we have the New Testament. How many of you know what the first book of the New Testament is? Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. All right, Matthew is correct, you win. How many of you know what the first, um, first chapter? Oh, man. We've got, we got a biblical scholar here. You must be an MGL. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. The first chapter of the New Testament and verses 1 to about 14, 16 go like this. And Abraham fathered Jacob, dot, 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 dot. Mary was with child Jesus. Her husband was Joseph and gave birth to Jesus. It's a genealogy of fathers. God, the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, says something very, very important about fatherhood. And it links the Old and New Testament. Here's, here's another question, another quiz for you. Jesus said a lot of things, didn't he? Some of them are recorded, aren't they? At least recorded from the oral tradition. So they're written down in where? The Gospels. They're written down in the Gospels. What Jesus said is written down in the Gospels. How many, which, which of the four Gospels contains more of the words of Jesus than any of the others? John. You buy one of those Bibles where all the words of Jesus are coloured in red and you'll find that John's Gospel has most of the words of Jesus. Um, what did Jesus? What was the number one topic in Jesus' conversations with his disciples? His relationship with his Father. His relationship with his Heavenly Father. Most of the John discourse after chapter 6 is about Jesus talking to his brothers and sisters about his father. And he said many things. One of, them was, one of them was this. I've come to do my father's will. Another thing he said is, all I have is come from my father. I, I am going to leave you now and go to my father, but one day I'll come back again. We're supposed to say, thanks be to God, Jesus is coming back. We'll sort out all the mess. And we'll go somewhere which is much better and much more beautiful and gorgeous. So Jesus was interested in the Father as well. Now those of, you, um, those of you who were in one of my sessions today, and I forget what I said in all of them, but um, one of the things I did say was something about the words the Father, the words the Father in heaven spoke to his son Jesus. Were any of you in that session? Or was that just a session I imagined in my head? You were there. That was the first one. Let me just repeat that because it's important. Twice in the scriptures recorded... The Father in heaven speaks to his son, Jesus. Twice. Possibly many times he spoke to his son, but twice audibly and twice recorded, and we have it in the scriptures. 
a number of places. The first time he speaks to his son is at his baptism. Baptism in the Jordan by John. The baptism of repentance, by the way. The sinless son of man goes and gets a baptism of repentance. Spend some time reflecting on that one. That's worth a few hours. I won't be distracted because I could go half an hour on that one. So, the first thing he says to his son is, You are my beloved son, and I am pleased with you. Beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. The first two things. At the transfiguration, he says two things and a third thing. He says, You are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Every person, son or daughter, has questions intrinsic to who they are that needs answering by their fathers. By their fathers. By their fathers. And those questions, somehow or other, sometimes, and this is not to diminish diminish the power of mothering and the single mothers that have run families for years and, and rescued families, many of them, for years. But there's something particularly about what a father can say to a son that a, that a mother can't. That's hard words, isn't it? But mother can't. Where does a young man get his manhood from? He, most of the time he finds it in the street accidentally. From Larry who's saying, let's go get a little beer. Whoa, she's gorgeous. And all that sort of crazy stuff. Rites of passage in the street. Street rites of passage. But a father is meant to bestow manhood on his son and answer the questions that nothing else in the world can answer. Nobody can tell you how to be a man and nobody can show you how to be a man unless it's your father or the primary male figure in your family community. So what does a father give a son? I'm coming back to you ladies in a moment. What does a father offer his son? A good father, a present father, available father, an interested father. Offer his, offer his son. He offers his son a model of manhood. He offers his son the words of manhood. Remember, some people would say now, yeah, what do I need to say? Is that me? What do I need to say? What do I need to say to these people that I love them? I get men saying to me, what do I need to tell my wife I love her? I told her 17 years ago. She should remember. What's wrong with her? Why do I need to tell my son he's lovable? Because his question is, am I lovable? Can I be loved? Can, can somebody love me? Is that possible? And then a dad comes along and says, you're my son. Hey, hombre, I love you. You're gorgeous. And... The second thing, he says, I'm pleased with you. Now, the word please is probably a pretty poor translation in the, in the scriptures. I think what the word really, the capture, the, the guts of what that is, is, and you have what it takes. You've got it. I can see so much in you that's going to explode on the universe and be gorgeous and wonderful and beautiful. You have it. And I, I just see that in you. And then when, when the rites of passage are supposed to happen 
Any man in this room been through a proper masculine rite of passage where their father was present? Put your hand up. One. 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 Can I just say that one more time? One person in this room. And this is, this is, this is people coming from reasonably good communities, I would imagine. The father, after he speaks those words of life, after he models the manhood to his son, is supposed to come to him, put his hand on his head in the community of men and with his family members present and say, I bless you, my son. You are the man God made you to be. I send you to the world. You're a man now. Stop acting like a boy and be a man. That's what a young man needs. That's what a young man needs. And that's hard because most of us didn't get it, did we? Even though we had good dads, we didn't get it, did we? Ladies, what does a woman want from a father? Now, I don't know, do I? Because I'm a man. But I've got a daughter now. Let me tell you, this is, this is difficult work, raising a daughter. She's 16. And um, she's my princess. And uh, she's the apple of my eye and my delight and my joy. And, um, and I'm... And you know, like, where do you get the training to be a dad? Who comes along when, you, when your wife comes to you and says, I'm pregnant? Who comes along? Do you get the phone call and say, now that you're going to be a dad, let me tell you a few things. Do you get the manual when the baby comes out? Do the doctors come and give you the manual in four languages with the warranty? Like, like I got more manuals and more warranties for my VCR than I did when I had my kids. You get no training. In fact, some of it's the worst training. It's a, it's a training that's got some baggage attached to it. So, you know, how do you know this stuff? You don't. But we're trying to change that, aren't we? We're trying to change that as church. We're trying to change that as families. If we can just do it right for a generation, we might turn the pendulum and we might lean the boat back in the right direction. Because I'm going to give you some stats in a minute that are going to scare you to death. You're going to scream and run out of this place. What a, what a daughter, woman needs, what a, what a girl who's becoming a woman needs from a father, I believe, is lots of things. But these two things are critical ingredients, I believe, to a, for a young, gorgeous woman, girl, growing into this, this woman of substance who knows who she is. First thing is, she needs to find her beauty reflected in a safe male who's in her home preferably, and who's a biological dad, even more preferably. Now, sometimes that's impossible, and I'm speaking generally, and forgive me if I'm offending some of you. But a young woman needs her dad to tell her, oh my God, you are drop-dead gorgeous. My 16-year-old comes down in her, down the stairs, up the stairs from her bedroom, uh, in her little stilettos, a nice cute little dress, those those dark stockings, you know, and the, and the belt and the top, and she's lipstick and the hair, and I'm going, man, you are gorgeous. Now go back upstairs and put some more clothes on. <laughs> i gotta find, I got to find nine million ways to tell her that she's beautiful. Why do our young women 
go out into the streets and sell themselves short, trade down on love and just go for whatever they can get so long as somebody tells me that I'm beautiful. Giving their, their, their body to a stranger just because there's some nice words being said. And the data on that is, is mind-blowing. The second thing that I believe a woman wants from a man is he wants, this daughter's from her father, is she wants him to fight for her. When she doesn't know what's right and wrong, he has to be strong. And most, most men haven't been fathered well. Most men haven't had the ability to stand in their own strength. So what do we do? We just want people to like us. We just want people to be nice to us and like us and tell us, you know, you're okay, I just, you're all right. And we go around, tell me I'm all right, tell me I'm all right, Kathy. Tell me I'm all right. Can you please tell me I'm all right? Tell me I'm all right. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm all right. Please say, Robert, you're okay. So I spend my life doing that, right? So what happens is when your daughter comes along and she wants to go to the party that she's not supposed to go to, and she's going because her friends are putting a lot of peer pressure on her. Anybody been in that place in this room? Thank you. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the mother, she's getting her dressed up and everything, and I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to be the dad. Darling, you're not going unless you give me the phone number of the place you're going to. Oh, Dad, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that, Dad. You can't ring them. I said, honey, you're not going if I can't ring them. If I need her to like me and make me feel like a man, what the hell am I doing as her dad? I need her to know that I love her, but I'm strong enough to fight for her. One day I was doing a Men Alive weekend. Uh, I forget where it was. It wasn't in Brisbane. And um, we had this big Men Alive banner that we put up. And, um, and I'm pulling the banner down at the end of the weekend. Now, you might think I'm strange. You already do think I'm strange, but I'm going to make it even more stranger. And I'm pulling the banner down, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, um, I'm kneeling on the ground, folding it up to put it in the thing, the, the, the carry thing, to take, take the whole stuff home and get home on Sunday night in time to have, have dinner with my family. And I'm on the ground, putting this thing away, and in my soul I hear this voice say, pray for your daughter, fight for your daughter. Now, how many of you know God can speak to you? That's half of you. Read the catechism. It's very clear. Voice of God resides within you. Why does a voice reside within you? To speak to you. Grace and guidance is available always if we listen. The Lord and the giver of life and the word made flesh want to speak to us. So I'm there and I feel this thing and I'm busy. You know, and I'm, I want to go home. I don't want to worry about my daughter. I just want to get out of there. So um, that's not to diminish the value of the weekend, by the way. Anyway, so I am... Um, I just say, Father in heaven, look after my daughter. Don't know what's going on, but be for her. So I fly all the way home. I go all from the airport to, to, to home. I get into the house and she's waiting there. Dad, 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 guess what, guess what, guess what? So what, honey? She said, I went for a run today in the bush. We have some bush near us, a forest. Uh, she ran five kilometres out. She's going to run five kilometres back. She stops five kilometres out on top of the hill. She sits there. And, uh, and then this guy comes out of the bush pair of shorts, thongs on, singlet, running out of the bush towards her. And she looks at him and she thinks, this is not going to be good. And she turns around and starts running home, five kilometres, full speed, running home. I get home and she tells, Dad, Dad, guess what happened, guess what happened? And I said, what time was that, honey? After, after a few comforting words, what time was that, honey? And she says, um, about two o'clock. 
Sunday? Same time I was kneeling on the ground. We want our fathers to fight for us, don't we, ladies? And, and you certainly want to find a man, when you find a man to marry, that's going to be like that, don't you? You want to find a man to fight for us. We have a really serious problem in our society. Significant and serious and real problem in our society. Where we have nearly five generations of fatherlessness. The first three generations were by social accident. But the two now are more so much intentional choice. The first, first era of fatherlessness happened with the Industrial Revolution. When dads, when dads left the farm and went to the factory and their sons and mums and brothers and sisters stayed at the home and dad went and worked 12-hour shifts, came home, slept, went and worked 12-hour shifts and all of a sudden the agrarian society where the community of men raised their families together no longer had men in the home. Straight after that, very quickly, World War I, all of our healthy, strong men and dads went off to war and only a few of them came back by percentage-wise. Homes without their dads for years and years and years. God bless the mothers. Then, a few years of break, just enough time to have another generation of kids and then the Second World War. Second World War and dads again going off and this time some of them, most of them coming back but coming back messed up, damaged goods. Psychologically, emotionally, physiologically and, and sometime every other logically they came back with stuff that there's no logically is about, you know, like damaged and broken men. No longer able to relate, no longer able to communicate, no longer even interested. They were shattered. Straight after the Second World War, as if men, as if men had a chance. The sexual revolution, make love not war. Kingsley Report came out. Kingsley, the greatest heresy in the history of mess, the sexuality of humankind, said, sex is okay. You can be like the animals, have sex with anybody you want, as often as you want, it's okay. And some people bought that. Who, Hugh Hefner bought that. Hugh, Hugh Hefner wrote the, wrote the Playboy magazine and pornography began. And all of a sudden, the opportunity for a man to grow as a solid whole man ended up starting to be sucked away by the, by the toxic, toxic uh, disease, the digital disease, toxic disease then of pornography and now the digital disease of online, online sex and pornography. The, third, the fourth generation of men. Um, now this is, only, this is only two generations removed now. And then there's my generation. My dad's generation of men. There was the, um, there was the recession... And my dad worked two jobs. Let me tell you a few words about my dad. John Falzon. He died two years ago of dementia. John Falzon, Maltese heritage. John Falzon, hard worker. Two jobs to put food on the table. I remember mum doing magic out of rabbits. And not pulling them out of the hat, but putting them in the oven and making something spectacular for an evening meal that... Um, that uh, that you just couldn't believe what you could do with a few shillings out of a rabbit uh, and dad working two jobs. But the price that, he, that we paid as a family and me as the eldest son in particular during those days anyway was that dad was never there. Never there, never home. And when he was home he was buggered. Anybody had a father who worked hard and came home and he was buggered. It was no use for anything else. 
It's third of us, yep. Um, and when he was okay, he was emotionally absent. Not his fault. I love him dearly. We reconciled a long time ago. We were able to rebuild the bridges. I was able to say the things I needed to say. He was able to say the things he needed to say. But he was absent. At the age of 12, I was left in charge of the home. Mum and Dad started a delicatessen business. 12 years old. In charge of the home. Four brothers and sisters. We need fathers to stand up. We have a real problem now. One in three children don't have a father in the home in this country. One in three. One in three children do not have a father in the home. 40% of teenagers today do not have their biological father in the home. 40%. Do you want me to say it again? 40% of teenagers in this country do not have the biological father in the home. You have to ask yourself, besides the spiritual consequences, this has massive social implications. Can I just, can I just um, stop ranting for a moment and read you some stuff? I have to read it because the words in, in the right order are important. David Blackmore stated, Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It is also the engine driving most of our urgent social problems. The Herald Sun reported, Youth crime has soared. Sex attacks, robberies, assaults, weapon offences have increased significantly. And psychologists and family groups have told the Herald Sun that this is due to no male models being in the home, particularly fathers. Particularly fathers. In fact, male models, not just in fathers, but can I say this in another way as well? Leadership. Leadership. You see the Prime Minister or the ex-Prime Minister of, the, of Italy running around, running around doing his thing. You see the uh, President of the IMF running around doing his thing. Leaders in the international world and young men looking at them. You see the, 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 the Two and a Half Men program. 1.7 million viewers, most of them male, watching Two and a Half Men. Let me tell you, if you're a dad... And that's on in your home, turn it off. And if they won't let you turn it off, pick the television up, pull it out of the wall, throw it out the window. It's, it says two things, two messages that are very clear to young men. Two things. And this has not just been said by that program. A whole lot of stuff now. It says these two things. The job of a man is to conquer the woman and the, and the fruit of his conquering is sexual relations. The second thing is, women are no longer useful except for sexual relations and to be conquered. They are a commodity to be consumed and won. The value of romance, committed marriage, committed relationships, intimacy and, and, um, and long-term, long-term marriage is over. It's a waste of time. And many young people are voting with their, pe- with their feet now. How many of you know which is the fastest growing demographic as far as, as far as marriage and stuff's concerned? Let me just tell you. Cohabitating. 27% of all people now that are called sort of together are cohabitating. You want to know the divorce rate, and it's only small data at the moment, but we'll see it. It'll exponentially change the databases. The, the, the divorce rate, if there's such a thing for cohabitating couples, is over 70%. 70%. Of the cohabitating couples, of the cohabitating couples in, in Australia, those which have children, 
of the children being born today, more than 20% now come from cohabitating couples. So if the, if the separation rate of cohabitating couples is over 70%, and more than and about a quarter of the children born in this country come from cohabitating couples, 7 out of 10 children are going to be no parents. And most of the time that's the dad, isn't it? The dad gets kicked out most of the time. Not all the time. Sometimes he deserves it, by the way. Gets kicked out. So what we have is we have this huge, huge problem of a, of, a, of, a, of, a curve, of a curve that's going like that. Okay, here's a couple more examples. A couple more public examples, okay? Here we go. Anybody ever heard of a guy by the, by the name of um, Bre- Bre- Brevik? Andres Brevik. Anybody heard of him? Yep. Andres Brevik. He's the Norwegian mass murderer who killed 76 people in July 2011 in Oslo. Remember that on the news now? Yep. And that was a shock, wasn't it? Nod your head if you agree. Those of you who are asleep, just nod anyway. Yep. But, but we shouldn't be shocked now. Andres Brevik grew up as a fatherless child. His father left at the age of one. His mother was a feminist, let him do whatever he wanted and experiment in any way he wanted. The statistics and social sciences now should, shouldn't surprise us. What about a few more famous, uh, famous uh, infamous characters in history that grew up with no father figure in the home? Freedom to do whatever they want and a loose, loose moral, moral structure. Adolf Hitler, fatherless. Saddam Hussein, fatherless. Billy the Kid, fatherless. Charles Manson, fatherless. And that's the extremes. The salient facts of the Brevik story are, in his own words, in his manifesto, I lacked discipline and I had too much freedom with my mother and grandmother who were professed feminists. His stepfather would appear abandoned Andres, so his stepfather was abusive as well, and his mother for prostitutes in Thailand. The whole story shows a fatherlessness and family dysfunction. No wonder. Let me tell you a couple of stories closer to home. There's a holy, holy little nun. I don't know why I call nuns always little, because I've met a few today that aren't so little. Um, but there's a holy, holy nun in the United States that works in one of the high-security high prisons. And um, she, uh, she has a very simple job. She tries to make the male inmates um, uh, comfortable and happy. And she tries to bring the ministry of the good news to these men. So um, at, at Mother's Day time, what she decided to do was she was going to make some cards and she was going to give them to the guys and they were going to write Mother's Day notes to, um, to the, the mothers and then she was going to post it for them so that the guys could get a note to their mothers. So she made a batch. I don't know how big the batch was. And she sold them all. Well, she had clients for them all. So she decided to make another batch and she got rid of all of those. And all the guys were sending, sending notes home to their mothers. Well then, so a few months later, Father's Day comes up. And she thought, Father's Day, another opportunity for ministry. I'll make a whole pile of cards. So she made two batches at once. Two batches at once to get cards for the inmates. So I don't know how many, how many were in the two batches, right? But... Uh, as a percentage of the two batches, let's say there were 500 in the two batches. 
When it came to get rid of the, uh, get rid of the cards, she got rid of out of 500, five cards to the men. Five cards to the men. Of the, um, of the male incarcerated persons in the United States, they have some data. They have some data now on their uh, genealogy and heritage and, and uh, one, one piece of data on their fa- whether they've got fathers in the home. Of the, uh, of the people incarcerated in high-security prisons in the United States, of those that are, are second offenders, second and first offenders have slightly different data. Let's just give, go straight to the hardcore. Second offenders have gone back to prison now the second time. Of those guys, what percentage do you think were ostensibly fatherless? Just guess. Yeah, 93%. 93%. The data says different numbers, but it's over the 90s, right? Now, fatherless, fatherless also means this. Not just a father who wasn't in the home, or was in the home for a short time and left, but a father who was abusive, absent, alcoholic, addictive. There, that's fatherlessness as well. It's fatherless, it's fatherlessness with the hook, with the scorpion hook, because it's fatherlessness with, with the abuse from your father. Can you imagine? Not having a father's hard enough as it is, isn't it? But having a father in your home who's abused you, and as, as a woman having your father, the primary male figure in your life, who's the man that's supposed to protect you and fight for you, and fight for your beauty, who's, who abuses you sexually, has got to be the heinous of crimes. Where do we go now? I think, um, I think I've communicated something about the intensity of the problem. Would you agree? And I've communicated it in a way that, that, that's a little bit dramatic, okay? Because sometimes if I just sit there reading you the data, you'll get the feeling it's like, another, um, like a medical program. And that somebody's going to come along and find a cure and it's going to be all right. Let's just go and get the inoculation for fatherlessness and the whole thing will go back to normal. Well, unfortunately, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to happen unless the church stands up. Unless one, one Christian at a time and one Christian family at a time decides that the tide, the tide of fatherlessness stops with us. Now, how do you think that I, that I came to understand and see, see what was needed in my family? And let me tell you, I'm, I, I haven't done a good job all the way through. So I had to go to the only place where the fathering can be completed. And that's to my heavenly father. It's the only place. If you have a father wound, and I, I would presume from the data that most of you do. And if you don't know yet, it may just be because you're, you're young enough and you haven't had your own children. But when you start having your own children, those wounds start to emerge and patterns of behaviour start to emerge and if you're a reflective person at all you start to see it you start to say I don't want to be like that why am I like that? and you start to go into your soul and you start to ask the Father in Heaven get on your knees and say Father, you've got to help me here I don't know what to do I don't know how to be a dad I barely know how to be a husband I don't even know how to love this woman yet and I've been married 30 years tell me how to be a husband Tell me how to be a dad. Show me what I need to know. And you know what? The father's eager to help. Because he's eager to finish the fathering in you that has not been completed. He's interested in coming, coming alongside you where your wound is. Be brave enough to show your heavenly father your wounding. And tell him in words your pain. And say, say, Daddy, like Jesus did. Abba, Abba, 
about I'm here and uh, I'm hurting. I don't know why. Hey, look, I've got this big job now. I'm a wife. I don't know how to love this man. Can you show me? Can you tell me what a man needs? I don't know what a man needs. Can you tell me how to raise my daughter, my son? Can you show me? If we go to the Father, if we go to the Heavenly Father that Jesus went to, remember, Jesus, if, if we can understand the, the, the chronology of the Scriptures, was without his earthly father for a long time, at least after his bar mitzvah. We have one last record of Jesus' time with Joseph and then no Joseph. We don't know the story there. But we can imagine that it was just Jesus and Mary for a long time. Let me brave here and exegite just a little little bit to the edge. Jesus, like us in all things but sin. Jesus needed his fathering completed as well. Which maybe, for me anyway, in my, my reflection on the Gospels, was why the Heavenly Father spoke to him audibly and said, You, my beloved Son, because he's human, he's a man. He's God, yes, I know. But he's like us in all things. In all things but sin. You don't have to have a father wound that's sinful. But your father wound, if not dealt with, and not, uh, if, if it's not, it's not he- healed and tenderly cared for, will lead you to sinful places. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a masculine example. Um, if you're a man, and uh, if you're a man, you should be a man, all right? But when you, the men here in the room, let me say that. The men in the room. Uh, when you were a young boy, if you uh, fell over and hurt your knee and, and, and started to cry and that, uh, what would your mother do? She'd come pick you up and hold you and cuddle you and say, it's going to be all right. Uh, very few of us had our dads pick us up. And sometimes we had our dads say, oh, get up and be a man, stop crying, I'll give you something to cry for. So when you grow up and become a man, and then life becomes painful and difficult and hurtful, as life does, doesn't it? Painful, difficult and hurtful. You only have to live a few, few years and you know that life can become painful, difficult and hurtful. And you get pain in your life. And then all of a sudden you need, you need comforting. Where do you go as a man? Where do you go as a single man? You go, you go looking for the woman. Comfort me. Comfort me. Make me feel better. It's hard. Life hurts. And most women don't want a man like that. Or you might try to mother him, mother him for a while. But when you marry him, you don't want to be his mother then. Or if there's no woman around, you'll just go and find anybody. Anybody. To fill the wound. Um, we need to change that. We need to start now. And some of you have already started because some of you already processed the deep woundings from your, from your past and from your relationships. And if you're, if you're having trouble in your marriage, I can give you some, I can give you some assurance that a, a reasonable percentage of it is going to be because there's unprocessed wounding from your parents and unprocessed wounding particularly from your father. Dads, we have a lot to answer for. But we can do a lot about changing where we're going. We can do a lot. And the place to go is to the Father. Through the church, through prayer, through the sacraments, through fellowship, through good healing and counselling, through good people around us that can help us. You become who you're with. So find people that can help you and, um, and journey with you. There is a father wound in society. Let me say it again. There is a father wound in society. It's undeniable. 
and the data shows it. I have a lot more here, but I'm going to close with that and we're going to take some questions and some exchange and some conversation. But what, I, what I'd really like you to do now, just for one more minute, okay, is now just as you've heard, heard me rant and rave and carry on and sweat all over the place, um, just take a moment to sit. I know there's music and noise and everything downstairs, but sit, close your eyes. And given what you've heard, just, just think. And then as you think, feel, begin to feel. And then as you begin to feel, turn your soul to your Heavenly Father. Just turn inside, turn to your Heavenly Father and have a couple of words to say to Him. And then use words of affection to your Father in Heaven. Daddy, Abba, whatever words of affection that you know. I'm going to be true to my word tonight and um, be wild and dangerous. I'm going to get you now to turn to the person next to you. You don't have to say too many words, but just put your hand on the person next to you. Take it in turns. Just say a little prayer. A prayer of blessing and healing. A prayer of um, uh, opening the heart to, to what God wants in that area of fathering and your father wound and uh, the damage done. And uh, we'll do something else at the end. Okay, thank you. Thank you for um, tiptoeing into this delicate, delicate and important territory. Just one last thing you need to know. The children who have their biological father in their home do better in every social demographic than children who don't. Education, health, wealth, success, business, leadership, marriage... Uh, and two others that I can't remember, every, every demographic, they do. And um, one, one last data, piece of data about church that relates to fatherhood, and then we'll go to questions. Um, <clears throat> our 17-year-old boys, when they leave, 17 or 18-year-old boys, when they leave grade 12, our Catholic boys who go to Catholic schools who leave grade 12, 93% of those boys leave church. 93% leave church. We don't see them again generally until they get married. And most of them still want to get married in the Catholic Church, thanks be to God. But I've often wondered about the 7% that stay. Some of you guys are the 7%. Thanks be to God. And one of the things that we've discovered about the 7% is that in almost every case, not every case, but almost every case, they have their biological father in their home and generally their biological father is a man of God. may not necessarily be a holy man or a giant or whatever it is, but it's generally a man of God, that faith has a message around the family table. And those 7% stay. So we'll take some questions. How do we do that? All right. Any questions for Robert? Thanks for your talk. Hi, I'm Luke. Just had a question with, you know, as you said, so many people grow up without fathers in the home. So inevitably we know people who come from broken families, who come from fatherless homes. What can I do um, as a friend, uh, as an acquaintance even, for these friends of ours that have grown up in fatherless homes? Is there anything we can do to help them? Well, good, good question, a loving question really. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard because if they're not in your Christian community or in your, um, 
of, of your faith, faith um, expression, it's very hard to talk to them about the Heavenly Father, isn't it? Uh, you say, you, 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 if some of your friends are pagans and they go, gee, I'm, I'm aching with, with a pain from my dad. I've got some, to answer your question, let me just tell you a quick story. I've got some friends who are pagans. And I think as Christians we need to have friends that are pagans. Because these are the ones that actually need evangelising as well, don't they? So I've got some friends who are pagans. We're having lunch one day and I thought I'd tiptoe into this sacred territory and I said, hey, let's talk, go around the table and talk about what our fathers are like. And, to, and, and do what we did here. So we go around and go around and go around and then after about two hours this guy's crying and there's, and there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on around the dinner table and I'm going, how do I get out of here, you know? Like I come back out of this now. There's no reverse. Beep, beep, beep. So anyway, um, unless we can talk about the Heavenly Father, it's very difficult. If there's behavioural issues, behavioural issues, um, they should go and get professional help. It's a hard one. It really is. You can't walk away from them. That's the most important thing, isn't it? We can't walk away from them. Uh, evangelization it sometimes requires building long bridges over time, doesn't it? Long bridges over time. You know, long bridges over time. I've got another friend who, who just totally doesn't get what I do. And um, his son got stabbed in a party once. The first person he rang was me. Can you come? Can you pray? You know, you know how to pray. Can you pray? I said, you better start praying. You're the dad. Come on. Um, so, uh, yeah, long bridges and uh, counselling if there's behaviour problems. Andrew Woods, Sydney Morning Herald. No, I'm not. I'm only joking. Need a bit of humour out here. I'll be quick. The link between fatherlessness, atheism and homosexuality. We might be here all night. Oh... That's tricky. Um, fatherlessness, what was the second one? Atheism, Atheism yeah. Well, um, I don't know all the details, but there is data out that suggests that if, if the children, sons and daughters, have fathers that practice their faith and go to church, practice their faith and go to church, the family has a much higher percentage chance of growing up as a believers, much higher chance of growing up as believers. So atheism, yeah, that's 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 too hard a link to make for me to make at the moment. I think atheism is much more attached to to the secularisation and the individualisation of society, and I think secularisation and individualisation of society has something to do with the father wound. That's the best I can say there. And the other one was, look, I don't know. There is some studies in the United States that link link the two and make some relate say some things about uh, about young men men who have had no fathers and and become homosexual, um, but it, it's too hard for me and, and the leap is is, is big, and uh, it'd be wrong of me to make that association right now in this in this situation. But I appreciate the question and I think it wor- is worth thinking about. My name is Donna. Um, I um, was separated from my father when I was three. And um, uh, there was some abuse. But um, I just know that um, my grandfather and my uncle were stable, loving family role models as father figures for me. And um, possibly to me, thank God they were there. They went there uh, for a period of my childhood but and in and out of my life. But if I didn't have them, I've already been through hell, but if I didn't have that, God knows. <laughs> 
So I still think there's hope for people who have come from dysfunctional and abusive backgrounds on any scale. If there is some type of father there um, that is um, a stable home and loving and Christian, and I also did um, have a relationship with a heavenly father at an early age and went away from it, but praise God, I'm back with him. Thank you. Let's give her a hand. And that beautiful sharing helps a little bit there, doesn't it? Because I think if you could find some Christian mature men, guys with grey hair and, and um, who wear daggy clothes, um, they, they might be able to mix in with you guys. You know, there's a whole lot of grandfathers in our Catholic community that have got nothing to do. And there's a whole lot of young men who need fathers, so there could be something there. Thank you. Um, my name is Jess. My question is, what can we as women do to build men up? And I mean, um, you know, without becoming wilting flowers, without, you know, hiding away and, and not being who we are, but beyond maybe just getting the guys to carry the heavy things, like beyond the superficial, you know, what can we really do to build men up? So this will take me two hours to answer. And... Um, now, realistically, it takes it, to do justice to that question will require a lot more. But, but let me just say these two things. One is, um, one is I think you need to be who you are, truly and fully, and love who you are, and not need not need to find your identity from somewhere else. One, that means you have to deal with your father wound if you've got one, and make sure that you uh, are being loved by your heavenly father. That brings a lot to the table for a man's life, and 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 a man's a man's deepest. Deepest need as a, as a man is to be wanted. And I don't mean that in, a, in just a sexual way. I mean it as in a wholesome way. Just wants to be wanted in a realistic and wholesome way. Um, and um, and, uh, and he, will, he will trade that down because of his father wound and just go after sex or, or something even smaller and trivial down the line uh, and small gratification to meet that need. But if he's got a strong, loving woman who knows who she is, who can want him and not pander to him, you'll make him grow up. If he's, if he's too, too much behavioural problems, he needs to go and find help. But the best thing you can do is to be a Christian, godly woman is to love Jesus, to love your Father in heaven, to know who you are and be secure in who you are and be a real woman, fully a woman. And not be afraid of being gorgeous and beautiful and a woman in the home. Uh, Terry Jordan, I'm just wondering about a Catholic perspective on the film Courageous. Okay, I, I can give you Robert Falzon, who's a Catholic. Robert Falzon's perspective, and Robert's a Catholic. Um, Courageous, Courageous is a great, great, great movie for uh, families, fathers, daughters, sons to watch. It's made by the Baptists. It's, uh, it's theologically in line with uh, our Catholic teaching and it's um, really good. Um, we've, we've used it in Men Alive. We encourage parishes to hire the movie, buy the movie, pay the fee and get dads and their sons one night and da- dads and mums and their sons one night or dads and mums and daughters and sons and watch the movie. It is good. Courageous. Go get it. It was on the movies here. You can hire it. You can buy it at Kurong for about 25 bucks. It's terrific. Thank you for the question.
Radio.org.au.